2020, what a year. You know, there's been some bizarre things happen um, this year, but uh, just as you reflect on maybe your home, uh, your family, there's probably been some fun times, some bizarre times, some embarrassing times, and uh, that's happened for us for sure. You know, back when we were at the peak of our quarantine, uh, when everything was really shut down and no one was going to school, no one was going to work, uh, one thing that was happening in our world was everybody's homes and yards were on the improvement climb. Everybody was doing yard work. Everybody was improving their house. Um, fellas, we were knocking out the honeydew list that had been there for years that we had made up tons of excuses like we don't have time or we had somewhere to be. All of a sudden, we had all the time and nowhere to be. And so uh, we were knocking out some of those to-do projects, and uh, that happened at my house. Um, there was a, My wife was wanting us to put an accent wall up in one of the rooms of our house upstairs. And so you know, I thought, okay, I've got some time. So I went to Lowe's where all of you were because if you went to Lowe's during quarantine, that's where everybody went during quarantine. I mean, it was crazy. Um, people everywhere trying to knock out those to-do lists. And so uh, I found some wood that was on sale. It was a discount. And I thought, man, this is uh, inspired by God. And so I'm going to go back home and I'm going to knock out this project. And so I, uh, I got the wall done. I got everything nice and neat and finished. And then I called my wife and um, I said, hey, come check it out. Come look, come upstairs. And she walks upstairs and she goes, I don't like it. Now, fellas, you've had that happen before, right? And you just kind of look your eyes to heaven and you say, uh, God, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the voice that is within. Um, but she didn't like it. I don't know if you've ever had that moment, but uh, that, was, that was the moment for us. She, was, uh, she wasn't pleased. She didn't think it was great. I thought it was great. We disagreed. So for a couple of weeks, there was a little bit of tension uh, about the wall that was upstairs in our house. So uh, she said, hey, I want you to redo it. She want, I want you to do it differently. And I thought to myself, okay, that's great. But in my head, I'm thinking, you can do it yourself. <laughs> um, um, I don't know if you've ever thought that. I mean, I'm sure I'm the only one. Uh, so anyways, I'm outside one day, and I'm working on some stuff out in the yard, and my boys come sprinting outside saying, Dad, 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 Mom needs you. And I'm like, what, what is going on? And, and so I asked them, like, what, what does she need? And they're like, I don't know, but it sounds serious. And so I'm like walking inside, not running, should be running, but I was walking. And then Cam, my youngest, goes, Dad, I think she fell. I'm like, oh, shoot, this is serious. So I start going run up the stairs. I get up the stairs, and she's got her hand on the wall, and half of the wood is down. So immediately I'm like, no, she didn't. And she's like, hey, I, um, she said, I think we have a water leak. And so every time she would pull one of those planks out of the wall a little bit, you would hear, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I hit a water line when I put the wood on the wall. And so in that moment, I'm frustrated. I walk over, I'm like, hang on, let me see. There's something not right about this. And so I'm like listening. And it's like, well, you know, kids don't understand that there's times where they probably just need to dismiss themselves from a situation. Well, my kids are right there. And they're not, they don't really care about the situation. They're just right there because mom and dad are there. And they're making a ton of noise. So I turn around, I'm like, boys, I need y'all to go downstairs. I need you to be quiet. Still listening. They're getting louder. I'm like, boys. I don't know if you've ever elevated your voice at your kids, but I, in that moment, I'm like, boys, go downstairs. They go downstairs? No. Do they get quiet? No. So I'm still trying to figure out this situation. I'm frustrated. My wife and I are, you know, there's tension. My boys are just getting louder. And finally, I turn around and I'm like, boys, get downstairs now. Lost my mind. And I know that's surprising for some of you because you're like, man, he's a pastor. All he probably does with his kids is pray, teach them scripture verses, you know, bless them. No, man, I lost my voice. I don't know if you've ever done that. There was one time in my life where I raised my voice to my kids. All right, there's been a lot more than one. But in that moment, I send them downstairs. 
it's, we're frustrated. I phone a friend because I don't know what to do. There's water coming down the wall. It's leaking in the ceiling in my kitchen. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. So I call my friend Jimmy. And while we're waiting for Jimmy to get there, I'm sitting there frustrated. My wife and I are frustrated with each other. The ceiling's wet. Boys are eating lunch. Jimmy walks in. Everything changes. I'm like, hey, what's up, Jimmy? How are you? You know, it's good to see you. How, is, how are things today? And my son, my oldest, Braden, goes, really, Dad? We're just going to act like we're all happy now all of a sudden because Jimmy's here? And I'm like, son, why, why are you calling me out in front of my friends? I don't know if you've ever had that moment. What's interesting is, is there's a time and a place for everything. There's times where we can act a certain way. There's times we can say certain things. There's times we can do certain things. And there's times that we shouldn't. But it's oftentimes when we do what we probably shouldn't do in a certain time or space that provides our most embarrassing moments, our most awkward stories. I mean, 2020 makes that real. If you were to start sneezing and coughing in this room right now, everybody's going to start looking at you with stank eye. They're like, oh, you got to go. <laughs> There's a time and a place for everything. And while that's valuable and it's important for us to understand, sometimes it gets dangerous because what we can do is we can become so focused on the different places and the different spaces and the different people that we begin to compartmentalize our lives. And it ultimately begins to lead us to a place of less freedom. I mean, think about it this way. Think about your friends. Think about all the people that you know, people that you work with, people that you go to lunch with, the people that you hang out on the block with, your family, your extended family, people at the family reunion, your church friends, your weekend friends. I mean, we got friends all over the place. What would happen if all of those people came together in one place? Would it be a familiar experience? Or like me, do you get a little bit uncomfortable with that? Because what it does is it begins to allow us to think about what would happen if our worlds began to collide. It gets messy. And so beyond the social realm, we think about that. and We think about things like, you know, it's okay for me to be myself at times. It's, when I'm at home, I can, I can relax. I can let my guard down. But then there's other times where I got to put a mask on. And I'm not talking about a 2020 mask where we're trying to protect each other from COVID-19. I'm talking about the mask we put on sometimes in certain places where we don't want people to really know the real us. And what ultimately happens is people never really do get to know us because we find ourselves wearing a mask a lot more than not wearing a mask. Maybe there's times where you're nice and there's times where you're not nice. It all depends on what kind of benefit you get out of being nice. Maybe there's times where you uh, show up to church and you think, man, church is great. Other times you're like, man, I don't know if this whole church thing is, is, is great. Sorry, I just got super distracted because there's a phone down here. So uh, if anybody lost their phone, I'm going to set it over here because I just saw it go off. And so I'm going to set it up there. Squirrel. There's a time and a place for everything. So think about that. There's a time and place for everything. You see, what's interesting is there's, times in our lives where we come to church and here it's all about God. But as soon as we hit those doors, what we experienced here stays here. It's like we've been to Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas, you know, what, you know where this is going, stays in Vegas. What happens at spring break stays at spring break. And that works for Las Vegas because people go to Las Vegas and they think to themselves, okay, I can do what I want to. I can lose my mind. I can pursue anything that makes me feel good in the moment. And there's not going to be any consequences when I get back home. Because when I get home, everything's going to be back to normal. Everything's going to be safe. And there's freedom in that. The danger is we begin to think that way with different areas of our life. We begin to think what happens at work stays at work. What happens at school stays at school. 
What happens at home stays at home. And even what happens at church stays at church. What happens at COF stays at COF. And it's not because everything is bad, but we find ourselves in a place, and I think we've got to pay attention to this because we're landing this series today called Real Church. Real Church. And we've been looking at the book of Acts. We've been looking at Acts chapter 2. And this creates some tension for me today that I hope you feel a little bit in this moment. Because when I read about the church in Acts chapter 2, I read about a group of people that are like you and me. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, businessmen, um, people that have struggled, people that are frustrated, people that are caught in the middle of some sort of conflict. I mean, these are, these are normal, average people. But we hear this message that Peter teaches about Jesus and the gospel message of Jesus. And we hear about 3,000 people that respond to that message And then we immediately begin to see the impact that that's having. What happened that day that Peter preached this message didn't stay on that day. And we read in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says this. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Mark talked about this a couple of weeks ago, an incredible message about what it looks like to to really connect and stay connected with each other. The best version of you exists in community. You've heard that over and over and over, and this is where that comes from, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Verse 44, and all the believers were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone had need. Marco talked about this last week, talked about generosity, talked about unity, and it continues on, and this is what I want us to think about. In verse 46, this is, this is the life that they're living day by day. You might want to highlight that, underlight that, write that underline that, write that down, day by day. Notice it doesn't say on Sunday or on Monday or a couple of days a week. It says day by day, every day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Those who were being saved. What it means by that is those who were understanding the gospel message of Jesus Christ and surrendering their lives to that. God was doing that work. The Lord was adding to their number. They weren't adding to their number. The Lord was doing it. God was doing the work. But they were living this out day by day. Every area of their life, work, home, relationships, weekend friends, everything was being impacted by what they were experiencing because of the message that they had heard about Jesus and them surrendering their lives to that. And so I think there's a little bit of a disconnect or an inconsistency when I look at this passage and then I think about the American church, not just community of faith, but the church in America, the church of Jesus because I think we've taken that compartmentalized mindset when it comes to life and we've incorporated that into church so that what happens here every week or what happens on this online stream every week stays on the online stream or stays in this room. So what I want us to do is I want us to begin to answer the question, so what would it look like for us to live this day by day? What would it look like to allow everything in our lives to be impacted by God's power? And to do that, I want to look at two quick stories, two encounters that Jesus had with two different people in the book of John. If, you, if you're in the book of Acts and you've actually got your physical Bible, you can just flip back a few pages to John chapter eight. We're gonna pick up in a story that may be familiar for many of you. If you've been in church for very long, you've probably heard something about this story, but it's a story about the woman who was caught in adultery. Now Jesus is teaching a group of people, maybe something similar to this, 
a group of people from a lot of different backgrounds, people that had heard something about Jesus, maybe had seen Jesus perform a miracle. And then uh, as they had heard that, they began to uh, follow him. They began to pay attention to what he was saying. So there's a scene where Jesus is talking to a group of people like this. Maybe some people that were skeptical about who Jesus was and what he really had arrived on the earth to do. And in this moment, while he's teaching, the Pharisees, the religious elite, drag a woman before Jesus and this group of people who had been caught in the act of adultery. Okay, so we can just, this is, this is drama. Like this is lifetime TV on steroids, okay? Drags this woman before all of these people in all of her shame and all of her guilt, completely exposed, caught in the act. They drag her before Jesus to try to set Jesus up. They're trying to get Jesus to contradict the law of Moses. And the law of Moses says that someone who was caught in the act of adultery was to be stoned. They were to lose their life. And so they drag this woman before Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus completely disconnects from the audience and the religious elite. And he kneels down. He humbles himself before this woman. And he's doing something by writing on the dust of the stones of the road. And the Pharisees continue to ask questions. And it picks up in verse 7. It says this, when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who, is out, who, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He says, hey, all of you. He's been writing something in the sand. I don't know what he's writing. I don't know what he's, what he's describing in the dust as he's writing with his, with his finger in the dust. But whatever it was, coupled with what he said, caused the Pharisees to do something. It says, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he's continuing to write. He started writing something, he stood up, he addressed the religious elite, and then he kneels back down. I don't know, maybe, maybe he was writing the actual Ten Commandments, because one of those commandments was, thou shalt not commit adultery. So maybe in this moment, what he wanted the woman to see, because he, he addressed her by taking this posture of humility, taking a knee, he's drawing the sand. I don't know if he wanted her to see her guilt. I think he did, because there's something significant there. But I think he also wanted everybody else in the audience to see their guilt. And so maybe he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But then he began to write, thou shalt not give a false witness. Thou shalt not lie. Or maybe he said, thou shalt not commit murder. You shall have no gods before me. Maybe he just started listing the Ten Commandments so that everybody that was watching and observing could see that their guilt was on display just as much as her guilt was on display. He exposed something. And he stood back up and he says, hey, you want to throw a rock? Let's talk about the sin in your life. There's an interesting response. Look how it continues. It says, in straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Like, hashtag, they gone. They left. They, they took off. They're not there anymore. Why? Because they recognized their own guilt. He says, did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. Now, that's an important word for us to see. Because what he's saying, he's saying, hey, I know that we just had an encounter. And something is happening right now in this moment that is, is stirring something in you, that is shaking something up in you, that is exposing something in you. Pay attention to that, but it's not gonna just be about this moment. He says, from now on, do not sin any longer. Now, was this a story about, about a woman being rescued from the angry religious elites? Yes. Was this a story about... Um, None of us being able to judge someone else's sin without being confronted with our own sin? Yes. But even more than that, this is a story about a woman who had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says to her, hey, listen, 
I have something different for you. In all of your shame and all of your guilt and all this judgment, I have life. There's another way. There was an opportunity for her to to recognize something completely different than maybe what she'd ever recognized before. Ultimately, it's a place for her to say, it's okay to not be okay. Like things aren't okay right now in this moment, but you don't have to stay this way. How? Go and from now on, sin no more. See, she was gonna have to make some choices. She was gonna have to make some different decisions on the next day. If this happened on a Sunday and then on Monday, she was gonna have to respond to men differently. She was gonna have to navigate dealing with some of the things in her past, but she was gonna be able to navigate those things in a healthy way if she trusted the one who said what he said. You see, ultimately she had to decide, would she listen to Jesus and do what he said? That's what he's inviting her into. He's inviting her into something. What happened in the courtyard on that day was not supposed to stay in the courtyard that day. What happened in this moment was not supposed to stay in this moment. This was about the rest of her life. And her story is our story. Her encounter is the same encounter that we have, where Jesus, fully God, fully man, steps into the scene of our life. He steps in front of death because she was guilty. And the result of her guilt was death, just like mine and yours. The result of our sin against a holy heavenly father is death. But Jesus stepped in and provided another way. He pushed death back, but it demands a response in our lives. And not just this one hour response once a week. The response is not church attendance on a somewhat consistent basis. The response is a trust and full surrender to Jesus. Her story is our story. If you jump into John chapter nine, you see another encounter that Jesus has. Look what it says in verse one. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Here's what we have to understand. In this day, people believed that there was something that someone was struggling with, with some sort of physical ailment or disability. They believed it was a result of his sin or someone in his family's sin. It was It was uh, the way that God was punishing them, paying them back for the sin that they had committed. It says, him or his parents, that he would be born blind. Look at Jesus' response. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. Jesus is like, hang on, let 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 me just clarify something. His inability to see has nothing to do with what he's done good or bad or what his parents have done good or bad or how they've messed up. He says, instead, it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this is a bizarre scene. Jesus says, hey, listen, it has nothing to do with the sin in his life. It has everything to do with people being able to experience and see God's power. And so he performs this miracle. He looks at the man and he spits on the ground and he makes some mud out of the clay. He takes that clay and he rubs it on the man's eye and he says, hey, I need you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man does exactly as Jesus says. He listened to Jesus and did what he said. And what happens? The man is healed. If you go back and read the story, if you have some time this week, go back and read John 8 and John John chapter 9 and just read about these incredible encounters. But this man who had never seen before, he had never seen the faces of his parents, he had never seen um, the stars, he'd never seen trees, he'd never seen animals, all of a sudden he can see. God has done a miracle in his life, but the miracle wasn't intended to just stay in this moment. What happened on the road that day wasn't supposed to stay on the road that day. What happened in this moment with this man being healed was not supposed to stay in this moment. You know, it had been real easy for this man to just kind of say, hey, I got better. I just got better. I don't know what happened. Something happened, and I just 
I just got better. But people began to question. People began to demand an explanation. They're like, hey, what, what in the world happened to this guy? I mean, he, he's been on the road for years begging. Something happened. Now he can see? Well, it doesn't make sense. It would have been real easy for him to say, I, I know it doesn't make sense, y'all, but I, I just, you know what? My story is my story. I got better. But instead, this man begins to explain what happens. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, he answered, the man who was called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. It's a bizarre story. What's interesting is if you continue to go back and read this story, the guy really begins to face a lot of pressure, a lot of insults, a lot of frustration. I mean, the religious are like, dude, hang on a second. Who did this? How, how did this happen? Oh, Jesus did it? Let, hang on, let's talk about Jesus. Jesus, the one that says he's that he's God? You think that, you think well, there, there's this frustration. There's this division that begins to take place. Everybody's a little bit at odds with this guy. And he goes, guys, I don't know all the answers to all the questions you're asking, but I do know what happened. There was this guy, Jesus. He showed up and he performed a miracle in my life. His parents bail on him. His parents are like, hey, listen, I, we don't know. Go ask him. Someone who used to be an outcast because of his condition all of a sudden experiences God, and the people that claim to be people of God are pushing him out, and the story ends and gets to a place where they say, hey, listen, all that you're saying, no, that doesn't make sense. You, you got to stay out. You, you got to stay away from us, and they push him out. The religious push him out. Now, we can, we can understand this because it would have been a lot easier for this guy just to simply say, you know what, this is just too much. This is too hard. I'm not gonna continue to share my story. He didn't know everything about Jesus. He didn't understand all the theological implications of Jesus and an encounter with Jesus, but he knew his story and nothing stopped him from sharing his story. We get that because we come here sometimes and we experience God. I mean, some of you, you were, you, were, you were experiencing God as you were singing just a little while ago. There was something freeing. There was something bold in that. And then you leave and you leave this place. You think, man, this, this is it. I am going to be different because of what I've experienced in this place. And then tomorrow happens. And then next week happens. And then next month happens. And you begin to reflect back on that distant feeling that distant memory that you had in this place or, or while you were watching this online stream. And you think, man, I, what, what, what happened? It's easier just to, just to let it be a moment and then dismiss it and go about the rest of our lives. But that's not what this guy did. He continued to tell the story. You know, this place is interesting. Whether you're watching online or you're sitting in the room today, this place is different. Because if you're watching online, there's a, there's a group of people that are online hosts and they're asking questions about you. They're asking how they can pray for you. Uh, they wanna get to know you because you're a valuable person even though you're watching from somewhere else across the world. They're interested in you. It's different. You walk in on this place, you're in this room and you, you rode, rode up in the parking lot, you walked in the, the building and people are waving at you, people are smiling at you, people wanna get to know you. Maybe you went to the new here area to kind of get a little more information about what it looks like to come to community of faith. 
And you're like, man, this is, this is good. I, I like this. And then you, you see the early show, and you're like, I don't know, what, what's, what's going on there? Like, we got a TV show happening in our lobby now. That's kind of crazy. You grab some donuts, and, man, everything is good. And then you walk into this room, and music starts to play. You're like, man, this, this, is, this is good. You start to feel something. You start to hear people sing, just these people, because it's so loud that you can't hear the people around you, which is awesome. I don't know if that's true for you, but it is for me, because if you sit around me and you can hear me sing, like, that's, there's nothing of God in that. Like, it's, you're like, whoa, hey, what happened to the dying sheep? Can we get the dying sheep out of here? But the music's loud, and you're experiencing something. You're encouraged by something. Like, sometimes you, you, you get emotional, and then someone gets up here and starts to communicate. Someone starts to teach. Some of the things that he or she are saying begin to make some sense. You begin to think things like, man, I, I desire that in my life. That sounds good. That's not what I'm experiencing, but I want to experience that. And you begin to think about things that maybe give a little more direction, a little bit more purpose, a little bit more confidence in the life that God's calling you to live. You pray, you cry, you're experiencing something strong. It's an unbelievable moment. And then you leave. You get in the car and immediately there's tension because there was crazy tension when you pulled into the parking lot this morning because she's crazy or you're crazy. Um, you had a crazy conversation or the kids are crazy. Everything's out of control. And then you get out of the car and you act, you're like, hey, guys, let's just act like everything is good. There's a right time and a right place for everything. And right now is not the time or the place. So get it together. All right, we're going to church. But then you get back in the car and that tension's still there. You get home. Dad's still grumpy. He's distant. He's disconnected. Mom's nagging you about something. Your husband's doing this, your wife's doing this. There's tension, there's frustration at home. You go to work tomorrow and it just feels weird. Boss is acting weird and then your vain imaginations start rolling. You're like, man, what's going on? Then there's an election the next day. Someone gets sick. Someone's still not well. Someone's still not okay. The addiction's still there. It's just drama. You begin to think to yourself, man, I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait to jump back on that online stream and just, just get some church, to, to have a little bit of an escape from the life that I feel like I'm just totally surrounded by and caught up in. Or you come into this place, and you're like, man, I can't wait to get back to this. And we look at this as an escape from life. We look at this as an opportunity to maybe just catch up with God just a little bit, to let him know a little bit about what's going on in our life, to hear a little bit from him about what could be going on in our life, just have a little catch-up session. It gets a little bit tricky. We look for freedom. We're wanting freedom. But what we're, looking, what we're looking toward is simply just a quick little escape from a life of imprisonment because we've compartmentalized our lives. And it's not what I see when I look at the book of Acts because there's nothing freeing in that. When I look at the book of Acts, I look at a group of people who are what I pray for for us is that we would fully trust, fully surrender to Jesus. And maybe that sounds like, okay, that sounds great, Wes, but I don't really know what that looks like. I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, and I was thinking about this group of people in the book of Acts. You know, it started with a group of 120 people, 120 people who were close to Jesus, who had had encounters with Jesus. And my mind just began to wonder, I'm like, what are these people like? Because I think we begin to dehumanize them a little bit. We think, man, they probably all wore white robes and probably put halos on because they were so godly. Um, they probably talked funny. They probably said hallelujah at least 50,000 times a day. Like that's just, that's who they were. But I think they were normal people like you and me with some frustration, with some doubt, with some hangups, with some past. I was thinking about it. What if, what if this group 
that was so crazy about Jesus and the message of Jesus to bring life to the world, what if it consisted of people like the woman caught in adultery? Like what if she heard the invitation Jesus offered on that day, go, and from now on, sin no more. And she actually took his words and she did what he said. And in that, she began to find some freedom from some of the baggage of her past. Maybe she finally began to not look for a relationship with a godly man because maybe she finally realized she didn't need a relationship in that season of her life because she had all the security and all the value and all the worth that she would ever need because she had had an encounter with Jesus and she found freedom when she experienced this encounter with Jesus. And she said, you know what? I don't know everything about this man, but I know this, that he rescued me so I can trust him. And because I can trust him, I'm gonna surrender my life to him. What if she was one of the 120? What if one of the 120 was a man named Nicodemus? A a guy who was successful, was seen as one of the elite, one who had questions about God, who was in close proximity with Jesus for, for maybe a few years, but wasn't really sure he wanted to follow Jesus until Jesus gave his life. And then he finally realized, he said, you know what? I've been successful. I've accumulated a lot of uh, worth and a lot of status in my life, but none of that is worth what Jesus is worth in my life. And he laid it all down. He began to follow Jesus. What if he was one of the 120 taking all of his success and saying, I'm gonna leverage it for Jesus. I wonder if it was the woman that was caught that Jesus had the encounter with at the well. He told her everything there was to know about her but yet he still showed love to her. He showed her that she was valuable, that there was another way. What if one of those 120 was a man named Zacchaeus? Maybe you've heard that name before. Maybe you even sang the song about him because you grew up in church and you heard about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, a wee little man was he. You know what's interesting about Zacchaeus? And I don't have any concrete proof of this, but this is where my mind goes because I can begin to, I wanna visualize, I wanna see what, what was this? When I think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, scripture tells us, was a chief tax collector which means he was top dog. You know who else was a tax collector? Levi, one of the disciples. Changed his name to Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus's closest followers. He was a tax collector. And it says in scripture that as soon as he met Jesus, the first thing he did was he threw a party. And he invited all of his tax collector friends to hang out at his party with him and Jesus. Jesus hanging out with the people that were least like him. Imagine that. And I just wonder if Zacchaeus, being the top dog, didn't get invited to the party because nobody invites the top dog to the party because if you invite the top dog, you have to kind of act a little bit cool because you don't want to lose your job. And so you're like, hey, we're just we're, we're going to play it cool, guys. So Zacchaeus didn't even get the invite, but he began to see this. He began to hear the stories. He began to, to lose some of his tax collectors because they said, you know what? I'm done stealing from people. I'm going to go live a different way because they had had an encounter with Jesus. And I wonder... If because he had heard the stories about Jesus and the impact he had made in the lives of some of the other tax collectors, if maybe Zacchaeus had heard those stories and then he heard and found out that Jesus was gonna come to Jericho and he said, hey, he's coming to Jericho. I gotta gotta find out something about this guy. And we read the story. Jesus sees Zacchaeus hanging out in a tree. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, I wanna have lunch with you. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house and in this encounter that he has with Jesus, he realizes that he can trust him and that he can surrender his life to him. And you see this incredible display of generosity. What does Zacchaeus do? He says, hey, Jesus, my Lord. He says, I'm gonna take half of everything I own and I'm gonna give it away. I mean, this was a guy who was greedy, who had accumulated everything for himself. And then he says, if I've wronged anybody, 
I'm gonna give them back four times what I took from them. You see this overwhelming display of generosity. And when I begin to think about the book of Acts, and I think about what we heard Marco teach last week. If you weren't here last week, you hadn't had a chance to listen. Go back and listen to Marco's message on generosity and unity. But I just wonder, what if Zacchaeus, the top dog, was the man who was stirring the generosity in the early church? What if Zacchaeus was the one who put his arm around the woman who had been caught in adultery, not because he wanted her to, to provide some sort of satisfaction for him, but because he cared about her. And he said, hey, I wanna make sure every need in your life is met because maybe she was a single mom who was struggling to make ends meet because of some of her past decisions, some of her past mistakes. And Zacchaeus says, hey, I met a man named Jesus. And because I met a man named Jesus, I've learned how to love people well. And I'm not loving you because I want something from you. He said, I, I love you and I care about you because you're a sister in Christ. And he began to meet the needs in her life. What if, what if that's what it was? You think about the people that Jesus interacted with, you begin to think about those types of scenarios. What if all people who listened to Jesus and did what he said? So where does that land for you? What's your what if story? What if, what if you listened on any given week, whether you're online or in the room, and you just heard God speaking something to you, moving you to take a next step? What if you trusted him and you surrendered and said, I'm, I'm gonna do what you say? What if you're a dad today and you live a good life, you take care of your family, you support your wife and kids, but maybe God's been pushing you for a long time to step out and take a lead in your relationship with Jesus and leading your family when it comes to faith? What if he's leading you to do that? What if your kids began to see that Jesus was the ultimate in your life, not your job, not your success, not your loyalty to friends, but your loyalty to Jesus because he's the Lord of your life? What if you began to make different dating decisions because you found security in Jesus, you found worth in Jesus, you found value in Jesus? Maybe for all of a sudden you don't have to even have a relationship to find security because you found it in Jesus. What if that's your story? What if that's your next step that he's calling you to take? You see, this lands for all of us in a different place. And we have to wrestle with that tension. Well, what happens here, what happens in this moment, what happens in this hour impacts the other 167 hours in our week? Some of us will get stuck and we'll begin to believe the lie man, I'm too old, I'm too far gone, there's too much behind me and not enough in front of me. Let me just ask you this, how, how many of you are under the age of 80? You can raise your hand, you're like, if I raise my hand, he's gonna make fun of me. No, I'm not, I promise. That's a lot of us. Did you know Moses was 80 when God called him to do an incredible work to advance his kingdom? Listen, if you're still breathing breath and air in your lungs, God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And what happens here on any given week or any given moment was never intended to stay here. And if you think, man, my life is a mess, you think about the woman caught in adultery, I mean, it doesn't get any messier than that. Listen, if you feel like your life is a mess and it's disqualified you from anything that God would wanna do in your life outside of this room, it's not disqualifying you, it's actually just showing you your humanity and recognizing, helping you see that you need Jesus, you need a different way. So to see the mess is actually a good thing. So embrace the mess Jesus did. What happens here was never intended to stay here. You wanna land this morning, just the next couple minutes. As I was thinking about this and thinking about 
landing this, I went back to the story of the man who was blind, and I told you that the religious had pushed him out. His parents had bailed on him. He had experienced all sorts of um, frustration and um, tension and pressure because of his story, his Jesus story, and the result pushed him out. It's interesting what happens later in that story when you look at John chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and upon finding him, like maybe, maybe you just need to pause right here. Upon finding him, you know, the church is made up of humans, and we're messy, we're dysfunctional sometimes. And sometimes we maybe even unintentionally create hurts or cause pain. Maybe you're in a place, and maybe this is why you're watching online today, you're in a place where you're like, man, I'm not sure I can come back. Or I'm not sure that I want to be back. Or I'm not sure I'm going to allow, be allowed to be back. And you're in this place, and you're sitting there, and you're kind of watching from a distance, not really sure if this is still relevant in your life. Can I tell you something today? That what's happened in this man's life, I think, is what God wants to do in your life now. It says finding him. What does Jesus do? What does he say when one is lost? says he's willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. And maybe you feel like that one today. And he's trying to bring you home, bring you close. says he said, do you believe in the son of man? He asked the guy. And the guy answers by saying, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You see, he didn't still understand everything there was to know about Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, I believe, Lord and he worshiped him. I don't think there's a better response than that for us today. When we think about the season that we're in, the time that we're in, this man had an encounter with Jesus, but what happened that day on the road was never meant to stay on the road that day. And what's happened here today was never intended to stay here. I think we take the same steps that the woman or the man took or anyone that Jesus had an encounter with, and we trust and surrender, believing and letting it pour out and spill over into every area of our life. So can we pray? And here's what I'm asking you to do. I, I didn't do this in the first service, but I just, I felt like I needed to, and I want to do this. And if you're capable, I'm just going to ask that you would kneel at your chair, if you can. If you're not comfortable with that, and you got bad knees or whatever, that, that's okay. But I, I just want us to take a posture of humility, maybe. And let's just pray and just say, God, we trust you. And we surrender our lives, not just in this moment, in this space, but today, tomorrow, this week. Because here's what I know. The church was made for days like today. And you see the church advance in some of its most difficult days. How? Trust and surrender. So let's just pray a prayer of trust and surrender this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you came to rescue us. We thank you that you had a plan to restore the relationship with you. I thank you that we get to look at this truth today and we get to even experience some of what started thousands of years ago with the early church, with a group of ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they simply trusted you and surrendered their lives to you. And so I just pray right now, together, whether we're watching from our television or from our phone somewhere across the world or we're sitting in this room, I just pray that in this posture of humility that we take, that we would simply say we trust you, not just here in this moment, 
but we trust you today, we trust you tomorrow, we trust you on Tuesday, we trust you every day ahead of us. We pray that what's happened here today, we pray that what we've heard today, the power that we've experienced today, pray that it would not stay here, that it would go with us everywhere we go, and that as we love one another well, as we focus and trust and surrender to you every single day, would you continue to build your kingdom? Would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, here at Community of Faith as it is in heaven, here in Houston as it is in heaven, here in the United States, all across the world as it is in heaven. We trust you. We look to you. We surrender to you today. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.